to Disorderly Dogs, the podcast for dog owners. If you find yourself in precarious predicaments with your dog, this podcast is for you. I'm Rachel Harris. I'm a certified professional dog trainer, and I hope to give you a fresh outlook on your dog's behavior and practical dog training advice. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Disorderly Dogs, the podcast. If you are new to the podcast, welcome. I am so happy that you are here. I think that you're going to find this podcast to be pretty practical and useful, and hopefully your life and your dog's life will greatly improve because of it. I'm super excited for today's episode. Um, I have a special guest and we talk all about nose work. Um, And if you aren't familiar with nose work, this episode is super informative. If you own a reactive dog, I highly advise you listen all the way through because um, noser can be amazing for all dogs, but especially reactive dogs. So I hope that you guys are well, wherever you are. Things are pretty great here in Colorado. Um, If you follow us over on the gram at a good feeling underscore NCO, you know that we have been doing a lot of hiking per usual. Um, We're really lucky that we get to hike pretty year round here in Colorado. Yes, there's a lot of snow. Yes, there's a lot of ice, but we still get up and we still do it. And it's super fun. Um, I hope you guys have been enjoying hiking with dogs week over on the Instagram and the Facebook page. I've just been sharing all my tips and tricks for hiking with dogs, the gear that I use, the behaviors I think that you should have trained, um, and how often I think you should reinforce. So um, if you are not already following us over there and you are curious about hiking with dogs, head over to our Facebook page or our Instagram page to learn more. Um, Guys, if you are on Facebook, um, there is a Facebook group for Disorderly Dogs, the podcast. And we just kind of continue the conversation after the episodes. That's a really good place for you to ask questions and to connect with other dog owners. So um, there is a link for that in the show notes. And I would love to have you over in there. Um, Guys, I can't believe that the next episode is going to be episode 50. Wow, it's so exciting. I hope you guys have really enjoyed this podcast. I have really enjoyed making it and I plan to make many, many more episodes for years to come. As always, if there is stuff that you want to hear about the pod on the podcast that I have not already done an episode on, please shoot me a DM over on the Instagram. I love to know what you guys want to hear about. Um, someone uh, sent me a DM about nose work. So here we are with a nose work episode. So um, before we jump into my conversation, I want to introduce my special guest. So Patrice Kaiken is a dog trainer and she lives really close to me and I'm really grateful to know her in person and she owns and runs in Good Paws Dog Training and she specializes in reactive dogs um, and you know just all dogs in general but she shares all things nose work in our conversation. She is a nose work instructor so she gave me all kinds of insight into how the dog's olfactory system works and the positive benefits of nose work for dogs. Um, Patrice is also a senior at the Academy for Dog Trainers, so she is super committed to continuing her education, and I so love that about all of the professionals in the positive reinforcement dog training industry. Um, If you are new to the podcast, um, I am a force-free dog trainer, and what that means is that I utilize positive reinforcement and least intrusive, minimally aversive training techniques, and that excludes any training that would do physical harm to the dog, so I don't use choke chain 
change, shock collars, e-collars, pinch collars, and I don't use any fear or intimidation tactics either. Um, That is not just me. That is a gigantic collective of amazing men and women who have committed to um, maintaining standards in the dog training industry. Um, Guys, if you don't already know this, um, dog training is a completely unregulated industry. So a lot of wackadoos are getting away with abusing dogs in the name of training. And I think it's total bullshit. And you don't have to do that. Your dog does not need to experience pain to learn. In fact, they don't even need corrections to learn. So um, welcome to the wonderful world of positive reinforcement. We are so happy to have you. And I'm so excited for you to experience the benefits of you using positive reinforcement and training. So guys, please enjoy this conversation with Patrice. And if you like this episode, please tag me in your story, share it on your Facebook or on your Instagram so that more dog owners can hear it. I'm sure you are well aware of CBD for dogs. I give Tiva and Waylon daily CBD just to promote their overall health. And we use VetCS. VetCS is a veterinary-based hemp therapy company, and they make products for not only dogs, but they also make cat and horse products too. Their products are lab analyzed and they will give you unmatched customer service. We love that that CS and we are so excited to share this wonderful product with our listeners. If you are interested in learning more about VetCS, you can head over to their website, vetcs.com, and you can use code DisorderlyDogs for 10% off your first purchase. All right, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to another episode of Disorderly Dogs. Guys, I am with my friend and fellow trainer, Patrice of In Good Paws. So Patrice, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. I'm very excited to chat with you about this stuff. Yeah. So guys, um, we're going to talk all about nose work in today's episode, but I really want you guys who own reactive dogs, I really want you to take this episode to heart because allowing your dog to use their nose can be huge for especially reactive dogs. A lot of dogs, probably all dogs in general, but um, reactive dog owners, this episode's super pertinent to you guys. Patrice, um, can you just kind of like tell us for those of those people who don't know what nose work is? Yeah. So basically nose work, um, you also hear it under the name of scent work and that kind of stuff. Um, it was developed about 10 years ago, um, by several detection dog trainers who saw how much their dogs lived for their job. Um, and they wanted to come up with a sport, uh, where the average canine companion could utilize the skill for fun. Um, and so nose work was born. The original founders of the national association for canine scent work actually started this with, um, fearful and reactive dogs in mind because at this point there's not really any sport that those types of dogs can compete with without it being a bit detrimental to them. Oh my God, that's amazing. I had no idea that history. That makes me so happy. (laughs) Well, and I think, and I think something that's important for people to recognize about like nose work in general is that like Nose work is one of those things that like dogs already know how to use their nose. So they're, mm-hmm. they're already equipped for it. All dogs, mm-hmm. right? Like every single dog knows how to use their nose. So I think it's the ability for all dogs to excel in the sport is really, really specific to nose work. Mm-hmm. Well, and it's really interesting too, because it, 
it kind of goes outside of ability level for both the handler and the dog. So I've worked with 15 year old dogs that are deaf and going blind and they're still doing just, still doing just as well. Um, and then I've had handlers who, you know, can't be running through an agility field um, who can do this sport with their dogs too. So it's really nice because it is open to everyone. Um, with that being said, it is amazing how much skill they gain as they do nose work and how much better they get about using their nose too, which still blows my mind because they're amazing without practice. Yeah, for sure. Well, and I think that that's something that like, you know, I think that a lot of dogs noses are probably really underutilized, right? Mm -hmm. And like giving them this outlet for like using that natural ability, they can really start to figure out like this amazing nose that they have. Yeah, 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 for sure. Um, and I don't know if I answered your question earlier, as far as kind of what nose work looks like um, for our average canine companion, but I kind of always describe it of think of bomb or drug detection dogs, but instead of bombs or drugs, your dog is searching for birch, anise, or clove, or whatever you train them to search in the environment, and it's just for fun. So it's definitely not as life as serious as uh, the working dogs. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Okay. So, um, guys, apologies for the barking in the background. I do what I can to keep my dogs quiet, but <laughs> here we are. Okay. So, okay. So Patrice, can you kind of walk us through like how you introduce dogs to like the concept of using their nose to find something like what you don't start them with the, the sense yet. Right. So I personally, there are people who do, um, you know, there's many ways to train anything. Um, the way that I train uh, is with that original um, foundation in searching for treats first. Um, and what we do in classes is we'll actually start with boxes and treats because that really helps the odor be, it's only, it can, it can only be in so many places. You know, it's in a box. And so you teach your dog, if you find the treats in a box, you get even more cookies. And so they get into the game of, oh, wow, this is a really fun game. All I have to do is find the food and I get more food. Um, and then you start making puzzles for them. Then you can move out of the boxes. And so that's how you can kind of progress until they're to the point where you can hide a treat just in the environment and they'll be able to find it for you. Nice. Yeah. And it's, I, I feel like people don't realize like how easy it is to get started, mm -hmm. right? Like you, you yeah. need some boxes and you know, it takes some skill and that's why we have fabulous nose work instructors like you, but I think it's a really easy thing just to start. Right. Yeah. So, okay. So, um, so group classes, I know you do a lot of nose work group classes, but this is something that people could probably start at home, like on their own too. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And how I would start it at home without instruction would be a bit different than I would do it, you know, systematically in group class. Um, so you can really start out with something as simple as putting a treat on the ground with your dog in the room. Um, maybe they even see you do it and you just say the cue, find it. They get the cookie, lots of praise, super happy, how fun. Um, and then you repeat that. Um, and once your dog is on to you, you can also start to put them in another room, place the cookie just again, really easily accessible in the middle of the floor, um, let them out, tell them to find it and then praise party when they do get it. Um, and over time as they're, you can't stump them, the middle of the floor, they're on it. You can start changing where you hide it, um, you know, closer to the wall, near furniture, on furniture, hidden a little bit more where they might have to use their nose to, you know, budge stuff out of the way. Um, and that's how you can just start a really easy fun game at home. Um, I also know people who do this with their dog's toys. So kind of hiding um, their, their favorite toy around the area, you know, under couch cushions, that kind of thing. 
Yeah, for sure. And I think, you know, I think we're feeling this. Well, it's hard in Colorado, guys, because we had a bunch of snow and today it's like 75 degrees. You never know. But I feel like, it, you know, in general, a lot of people are spending more time indoors with their dogs. So I feel like this is just like a fabulous game to be playing to kind of pass some of like the indoor time as we're all going a little stir crazy. Absolutely. Um, and my dog lives off of this one. It's too cold for me to go outside. He'll go outside any temperature but I can only handle so much. So nose work definitely <laughs> keeps us those winter days. Nice. Nice. Okay. So, um, so I think let's talk about just a little bit. Cause I think it's, it's fun for people to know. Okay. So just like if people were to compete kind of like the progression, right? So you start with food and you start with finding food and then how do you kind of progress from there? Yeah, so usually there will be kind of a six-week class where you progress with food, and then you would go into another six-week class, and that's where we would introduce um, the odor birch. And I think for all of the organizations that have popped up, birch is the first odor that you'd ever be um, tried in. And I think it's just an arbitrary assignment, honestly. there's It's not any particular magic uh, to that. Um, then we train them the same way. We go back to the boxes have um, birch basically oil on Q-tips, put in little tins, and the tins are hidden in the box. Um, and then you move the boxes around, make the puzzles, and eventually hide the tins within the environment. So kind of the same progression, but now um, we're doing it with the odor. And the key here is in the beginning stages, the odor's always paired with a treat. So there's always that initial payment right on top of the odor so that our dogs learn odor pays, odor pays, odor pays. Um, and then eventually you can make hides more complex. You can do them higher. You can do them where, you know, the dog might have to get underneath the chair to put their nose on odor. Um, and that's kind of how you would start with the odor part. Um, and then at least for the National Association of Canine Scent Work, you would then compete in an odor recognition test for the odors birch, anise, and clove. And that would allow you to then compete with the organization, just proving that your dog and you knows how to do the game. So cool. Okay. So like they just have to like identify and find each of the scents in like a location. Like what does that look like? Like the entry yeah. into competition. Yeah. So an ORT is the odor recognition test consists of, it would be three different searches, one for birch, one for anise, one for clove, and it's just boxes. So there's a row of usually 12 boxes and your dog has to just identify it's in this particular box. You have to call it correctly, which is the other half of it is not only your dog knowing it, but you reading your dog um, yeah. and then you would get to be able to compete in day long competitions if you were interested in that. So cool. Well, and Patrice, I think you bring up a really good point, right? About being able to read when they found a scent. Mm -hmm. That is what I found so insanely fascinating about the nosework class that I did with my dogs is like the acute change in their behavior that indicated that they found a scent. Like, I feel like just from like a body language standpoint, that was just insanely fascinating to me. Yeah, I could watch, I mean, watching nose work, I could do it forever. It is always fascinating. And each dog is a little bit different. Um, and so you have to learn how to read your particular dog and what do they do when they're in odor. Yeah, well, and you know, people who listen to this podcast hear me preach all the time about like relationship building with your dog. And, you know, nose work is not an exception to that, right? Like you guys are ultimately the dog is doing most of the work because they have the sniffer, but you're still having to work as a team. And you're, you know, I think that that's probably a circumstance where you'd have to read your dog's body language much differently than any other scenario you might be in. 
Absolutely. Yeah. When you don't know where the hide is and your dog is trying to tell you, you need to know what to look for. And I'm a really big advocate of teaching, basically you learning how to read your dog's organic signals instead of teaching an alert like a sit or a down or something like that. Um, a, it kind of gets the handler more involved and B, sometimes teaching a specific alert can actually get the dog to default on that behavior, not necessarily focused on the whole I'm in odor part. Yeah. Well, and I think, you know, something that I super enjoyed about nose work was the fact that like, I really got to sit back and let the dog take the lead. Cause I feel like in almost every other aspect of our lives, like agility, they're looking at me just, you know, every aspect of our lives, they're looking at me for what is next. And I really loved the flip in those roles. I loved being able just to be like, okay, you tell me, what are we doing here? Yep. And it's hard for some dogs who are used to doing those team sports so much to let go a little bit. And I, you know, oh, my handler's not going to give me all the instruction I need. Um, And it is really fun to see them build that independence. Yeah. Well, and I think something else that I think is really noteworthy for you wonderful listeners who are not like dog trainers, you don't do a lot of dog sports, you're just, you know, amazing pet parents is that your dog is probably in an, at an advantage in nose work, not having a ton of like formal training under their belt because they're not going to default back to like walking at your side or sitting or staying, right? Like they don't, they can just be a dog. They're more accustomed at like doing dogs. Yeah. And I've definitely noticed that in my classes. A lot of the quote unquote pet dogs do really, really well. Yeah. Right. So I think even more incentive, you wonderful listeners mm-hmm. out there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Okay, so um, I want to just I want to just talk a little bit more about competition, and then we can kind of move on. Okay, so there's the odor recognition test, and then what does it look like from there? Like, if people wanted to compete once they get through the odor recognition test, like how does competitions play out after that? Yeah, and there's a lot of different organizations that are popping up because people have realized, ooh, this is a really big thing. People really yeah. enjoy this. Um, so the one that I'll speak to is the one that I mostly train for and compete with, which is NACSW. But AKC just recently came out with some um, scent work. Um, there's USCSS. So there's all sorts of different organizations. But NACSW, I find, is the best organization for fearful and reactive dogs because they really do set up their trials with those dogs in mind. Um, And they have very strict rules about distance um, and what type of leash your dog can be on. And so they really help eliminate the risk of a potentially bad experience there. So so good to know. Yeah. And that's why I love them. I teach them. I go through them. And, you know, I have plenty of students who love the other organizations. But primarily, since I work with a lot of fearful and reactive dogs, that's the one I really love. Um, So NACSW, once you do your, your ORT, then you would go into what they call NW1. And so that would be a competition where you're um, just searching for one hide in each of the different elements. And so in nose work, um, there's four different elements. You've got interiors. You've got exteriors, you have containers, and vehicles. And so your dog basically gets to play in all of those different realms. Um, And in order to get an NW1 title, you would have to get it right the day of um, all at once. So you can't miss call anything. Um, Your dog has to alert on all of the correct things and you have to call correctly. Um, So that's where it kind of gets a little challenging. Um, Once you get an NW1 title, you move right on to NW2. Um, They add a little bit of challenge there with um, more searches to the day and then also more hides per search. 
so for NW3 would be the next level after NW2, and that becomes more challenging, more hides, um, more searches. And actually for this level, there's now an unknown number of hides. So you have to be so good at reading your dog, you know when they're done searching and you have to be able to call that. And all of this is timed. Um, and then there's advanced levels beyond that, but it is a, a lot of fun to do um, with your dog. Dude, that's amazing. And guys, I'll include a link to the organization that she's referencing in the show notes too, so you guys can can check it out. But I love that the trial environment is set up in such that um, reactive and fearful dogs can be successful. Because I know that in a lot of dog sports, sometimes it kind of feels like a free-for-all going and coming from the ring. So I love that there is that predictability, um, you know, not only for the dog's sake, but also for the handler's sake, right? That they don't have to be so worried when they show up. Yeah. Everybody who competes in this organization is well aware of, you know, red zone dogs is what they're called. They wear red bandanas. And so you give them space. Um, and you don't, you don't have to have the whole explanation of, well, my dog's not bad. He just, you know, doesn't want to get close to other dogs. You know, it's very understood and everybody just wants everyone to be successful on the day. Yeah. And what an amazing community that that fosters. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 So cool. Okay. So, um, I want to come dive into, um, the dog's olfactory system because, you know, I think that this is kind of I feel like there's like a resurgence of people like really preaching like how important it is for dogs to use their noses. But mm -hmm. I want people to recognize like what we're really facing, right? Like how many scent receptors our dogs really have. Yeah. So kind of going a little outside of that, um, dogs actually are 10,000 to a hundred thousand times more acute in their sense of smell as our own. Um, and so this is made possible by the fact that they have 3 million um, scent receptors in their noses. And so to give you an idea, because that sounds like a lot, but what do we have? We only have 6 million. So they have many times more scent receptors than we do. And then another factor that goes into that is um, part, the, another factor that helps is that a part of our dog's brain that is devoted to analyzing smells is 40 times greater than ours. So that's a huge difference in how many receptors they have to actually gather. And then the brain um, is bigger where they process um, those odors. Wow. 40%. That's insane, right? Like it doesn't surprise me to hear those numbers, but just like knowing like the brain power that goes into like taking the world in through their nose is amazing. Yeah. And one of the articles I was reading recently had kind of given a really fun visual example. So if we're talking about vision and our dogs, you know, so say that our dog's smell is 10,000 times better, you know, the lower end of that kind of range of what we think that they can smell. Um, if we're talking about vision, that would be if humans can see a third mile and see, you know, in detail at that third mile, then a dog at 10,000 times the ability would be able to see 3,000 miles away with the same um, accuracy. So again, that isn't accurate for dog vision, but it's to kind of give you an idea of how big is 10,000 times more um, being better in smell. Oh my God. I love how you, I love that. I love that description. And I think it's, you know, we just, we cannot even begin to fathom what no. it is like to take in the world through the nose of a dog. I mean, it's just absolutely fascinating. Okay, so can we talk a little bit, Patrice, about how using their nose like affects um, maybe like their heart rate, like some of the other parts of their body, like how sniffing kind of affects the overall body now that we know like how insanely good they are at smelling? 
Yeah, and it's great, um, you know, dog cognition and kind of dog research has really taken off um, recently. So we have more of these studies that actually, you know, scientifically look at this. So a really recent study was just done on this exact question. Um, and they found that there was a correlation between sniffing and the dog's heart rate slowing down. Um, and so their heart rate lowered even more when they were intensely engaged in the act of sniffing um, than just mildly. And this was true even if the dog was walking and sniffing at the same time. So some people might say, well, the dog's stationary, they're sniffing, that's why their heart rate is going down. But the heart rate went down even if they were walking and being active and sniffing at the same time. Um, so that was really, really interesting to me on those research findings. My God, that's so cool. And guys, I'll include a link to that research in the show notes too. So if you want to dive into that, you can look into it further. But wow. That's amazing. Well, and I'm, you know, and I think it's really fun because like, I feel like I'm sure you see this. I see it too. Like you see like the positive effects of let, letting dogs sniff more, especially like reactive dogs, really mm -hmm. energetic dogs. And it's, it's so fun to see it backed up by this research. Yeah. You know? Well, and we've always, you know, I've always heard, oh, sniffing is a calming activity for dogs. And I've just kind of accepted that of, yeah, I've seen when dogs are a little bit stressed out, they might go to sniffing. Um, or when my dog, you know, goes on a long walk where he sniffs a lot, he is more tired. Um, but this kind of just shows, you know, it, it really is a calming activity because physiologically that's happening as well. Yes. Yes. Okay. And, you know, I think that you just touched on something that I think is worth, you know, talking about a little bit more is the fact that allowing your dog to use their nose, whether it's in nose work or just like recreationally can go a long way in satiating them mentally. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. I have, it's funny. I kind of have an anecdotal story about my own dog. Um, because again, you, you knew I, when I had him, when he was a puppy, I knew, okay, I've got to get him physically exercised, you know, training, mental games, all that is great. Um, but so tell us, about, tell us your dog and his breed. Cause I think people need to know these details. Oh, <laughs> so, uh, Finnegan is my dog and he's an Australian shepherd. He's uh, six going on seven now, but I've had him since he was a puppy. So when he was a puppy, he had insane amounts of energy. So I would go in the morning to the dog park for fetch for about an hour. And then I would go to the evening for an hour. Um, and in the middle of the day, thankfully I didn't work eight hour days. I had an interesting schedule. So he would get out for walks and, you know, chew on bones and that kind of thing. But in, in the evening, even after that two hours of physical exercise during the day, he would be trying to rearrange my DVDs or get into the trash or, you know, just still had so much energy. And when I found nose work, um, I just did it on a whim. And I found after class, he crashed, he would sleep hard. And I had never seen that happen with him, um, unless he was physically in his crate at night. Um, so I was so excited for this breakthrough, which seems obvious. But to me, I was I it really hadn't occurred to me of he needs the mental work as well as the physical he has to have both or he's not as happy um, or tired as he could be. Yeah, for sure. Well, and I feel like there's been this huge, like, um, like, you know, surgence of information, like going around the internet. And, you know, I think Cesar Milan has to do a lot with this, but like a tired dog is a happy dog. So there's this huge push, right? Like the dog has to get out for a, a walk. The dog has to be super physically exercised. And while physical exercise is important, that is only half of the equation, right? Because we still have a brain 
We still have a brain that we need to make sure that we're meeting that need too. And, you know, I think that that brings up a super good point. And, you know, I know that there's a lot of um, dog owners out there struggling with um, quote unquote naughty adolescent dogs. And I think (laughs) that you really speak to how important it is to challenge and stimulate our dogs mentally so that we can actually have a satiated dog. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they have these needs and they just need to be gotten out appropriately, essentially. So providing them opportunities to sniff and use their brain helps get that need really taken care of. Um, And then you've got a tired dog in that way. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and I think, you know, another um, really good dog that nose work would be awesome for would be a dog who is recovering from a physical injury. It is great for that because they do not have to be speedy. It's literally as they just sniff the environment. So if you've seen most dogs sniffing, they're not necessarily sprinting around. Now, some dogs I've seen are whirlwinds at that. Um, but usually with an injury, that is a fabulous way to keep them engaged without um, you know, physically exercising them. For sure. For sure. Okay. So Patrice, can you speak to um, you know, some of your clients who own um fearful dogs and how nose work has helped empower them and helped them be more confident, like not only just in nose work, but like kind of in their day to day. Yeah. It's, it's one thing where again, logically I knew that that would be the case because you're building them up for success. They get to try little puzzles and they win every time. Um, but more and more I've had some truly terrified dogs that I didn't know if would be able to continue in class because they would jump at every single sound and were crouched low with their tails tucked. And by week six, they come into class, tail up, super happy and wagging. And the nice thing about this as well is I've gotten to hear those owners gush about you know, he greeted two people today and he's never been interested in people or, you know, he's just built confidence in other ways that I'm noticing um, and outside of the nose work context. And so it definitely, I think these little nose work, especially with the goal of just having fun and creating little successes for your dog, teaches them, hey, the world is predictable and safe and I can do these things and it's not scary. Um, And so, yeah, for fearful and reactive dogs, nose work is my favorite thing to recommend to even my clients who I work with just on that, even if they don't feel they need more enrichment, et cetera. It's usually a recommendation I give. Well, and I think, you know, it really speaks to the ripple effects, Mm -hmm. you know, like, And I think that that's the goal with all the sports we do. You know what I mean? Is to further improve our relationship with our dogs and our dogs' lives. And like the positive things that come after the fact outside of nose work can be pretty profound. And I think that that's so brilliant. Um, Okay, so let's talk a little bit about reactive dogs. So, um, guys, Patrice specializes in reactive dogs. She is amazing. And not only does she do nose work, but she also does um, reactive dog classes. So, like, she really understands reactive dogs. So um, how does nose work help reactive dogs as far as, like, post-nose work, like the interactions that they're having? Like, do you Mm -hmm. think that the fact that they've been using their nose and they've been satiated in that way and that their heart rate is lower, that they're able to handle more stimulus than maybe they were previously? You know, that's a great question. And it's not something I've necessarily specifically look for in classes, but I would say leaning towards yes, because I will have um, people reactive dogs in my um, group classes. And um, in the beginning, we'll have the audience be very far away, but the dog still eyeballs them, isn't so sure. Um, And 
one such dog actually now is best friends with everyone in her class and can barely can work because she's so excited about seeing her audience. Um, and so it's really, I think, nice to see them. Maybe it's slow, but it does grow, you know, one person at a time, the world expands. Um, and so, yeah, I would definitely say that. And them being more tired and happier um, and more relaxed, I agree with the, the pulse rate going down. Um, I definitely see a positive impact, you know, on, across the board. Yeah. Well, and guys, okay. So we talked, we touched a little bit on, on how competitions are managed and stuff like that, but can you just like give us a little bit more insight into how you kind of like manage and like get dogs in and out of your group classes so that like, if someone who owns a reactive dog is like a little tentative about getting in a nose work class, can you kind of give us like a general idea of like what that setup might look like? Yeah. So any class you want to do, if you've got a reactive dog, A, dogs need to be run individually. That's just how nose work is run. But I also add the caveat of I'd also like the dogs to be crated elsewhere in between their runs. So you're not having, you know, 10 crates of really excited dogs on the sideline um, because for reactive dogs, sometimes that's not it. That's not enough. Um, so the facilities that I rent out of have uh, two, an entrance and an exit. So I'll always have you enter through one door and then you exit through another and the next dog doesn't come in until they are got they are um until so, the other dogs have entered exactly yeah yeah. <laughs> um, yeah so uh they enter through one door and exit through um another so they're completely separate and then they're not let in until um the instructor lets them in through um the entrance door so it is really at least in my classes i take it very seriously um i repeat a million times i'm sure i annoy my students but there are no dog dog or people dog interactions period and even for the dogs that are you know quote unquote super friendly and just want to play um, it's a time to focus and, and really use your brain instead of just going for that social hour. Um, that being said, you know, with fearful and reactive dogs, I really open it up to my clients of, you know, what do you want to achieve? Yeah, well, and I feel like the predictability aspect for the dog and for the human is huge, right? Like knowing that there's not going to be another dog or a person in the space with the dog if the dog can't handle it, right? Yeah. And, and, you know, I think it's really, I found it really helpful because I was in a group class with a fairly reactive dog and I really loved how even the people with really friendly dogs, we really were conscious and cognizant about like where we were and what we were doing with our dogs. And I think that if we wouldn't have had a reactive dog in the class, maybe we wouldn't have. And I really kind of liked that, like just as a community, right? Like all of us kind of learning together that like each dog has its own preferences and it's up to us to honor those. Yeah, and I think it really helps because I think people get spoiled when they don't ever have a reactive dog and they see these people with this dog barking and lunging on leash and they, there's judgment. And then when they get to see these same dogs in class just glowing and having fun and being themselves, um, it really has changed a lot of people's minds of, oh, so that's what a reactive dog is. It's just a normal dog <laughs> that is uncomfortable in certain situations. Yeah, totally. Okay. So Patrice, um, if people are looking for nose work classes, um, what would be some like red flags? Like I, I would hope to think that there's not like nose work being trained with aversion, but I just want to make sure that we're like really giving people the tools to seek out an appropriate nose work class. Yeah. And that's a great point. Um, I don't personally know of anyone who uses aversives with nose work because, and including, um, you know, like scent detection dogs, like human remain detection, et cetera. Um, aversives are not really used in the sport because 
dogs know what they're doing with their noses. We don't necessarily know what's going on. So if you use a correction at the wrong moment, you could get your dog off odor. Um, and so that's, it's a really, really big deal. So that's kind of the nice thing is I don't know of anyone off the top of my head who does use um, corrections. However, you always wanna make sure, you know, to ask what do you do if the dog does it wrong? Um, and see what that answer is. So in nose work, um, it should be, you know, I always look for our class, our dogs running individually. How is the, the setup? So are we able to exit and enter safely? Um, and then no corrections should be used in nose work. Um, and again, for the reasons why I stated, and more importantly, they're not really necessary anyway, but uh, we wanna make yeah. this a fun game for our dog. We don't wanna make it scary um, in any way. So again, you can ask your instructor your question of, you know, what do you do if the dog gets it wrong? Or what do you do if my dog does X, Y, Z? And then depending on their answers, you know, if there's any aversives, run. Um, and there was plenty of other instructors who do not, not use aversives. Nice, yeah, and I think that, <sighs> It's really relieving that there's at least one dog sport that there's not a lot of versions yes. used, right? Really yeah. Nice. Yeah. Um, all my so all my listeners hear me preach all the time, right? Like there's no need for any of the compulsion or aversion in dog training ever, but especially mm -hmm. when we're we're defaulting to the dog's strongest sense, right? Like yes. we just yeah. Nose is not ours. It's theirs. Yep. yep. And even the people who will use all four quadrants who will train with aversives in other aspects know this is not the arena for that because you can do a lot of damage to a dog. So I think that's a good case for not using aversives to begin with, but especially in nose work. Nice. Yeah. Okay. So Patrice, um, guys, Patrice is local uh, to me. She lives in Colorado in Thornton. And um, so Patrice, um, are you teaching nose work classes right now? I am right now. I'm not okay. starting any new ones, um, but I've got okay. three continuing nose work classes, which is where, you know, I've got my group of students who've gone through my beginning classes and we keep playing with the dogs and introducing new challenges. Um, but at this time, I'm not starting any new ones, but that definitely can change in the future. I've said that a couple times and I've still had, you know, five classes since then. So nice. Very good. Okay. So Patrice, if people want to connect with you, where can they find you? So they can find me on Facebook um, at In Good Paws Dog Training um, or my website, which is www.ingoodpawsdt.com. Um, and they can find my contact information there as well. Super. Oh, my God. Well, thank you so much for taking the time. This conversation was awesome. Yeah, thank you. I love, you know, I love talking dog. I love talking with you. And I, I love that nose work is becoming a thing for people because it is so unknown compared to the other um, sports for dogs. Well, and I mean, just like the positive effects from it, it's amazing. So yeah, nose work for the win. Yes, absolutely. Thank All you. Right, thanks. Thanks for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed the show. If you'd like to learn more about us, please check us out on Instagram at a good feeling underscore in co. You can also find us on Facebook at A Good Feeling Dog Training, as well as our website, agfdogtraining.com.